0: The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City.
1: We are delighted to have with us on this fourth Sunday of our Distinguished Pulpit series, the Reverend Shannon Fleck. Reverend Fleck is a native of the state of Oklahoma, spending her childhood with her family in Guthrie. Reverend Fleck attended the University of Central Oklahoma where she received a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology. After working for the state of Oklahoma for two years in juvenile justice, she began seminary at Phillips Theological Seminary. Reverend Fleck was ordained by the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in 2011. Prior to her current position as executive director of the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, Reverend Fleck served as the associate minister at Central Christian Church in Enid, Oklahoma, where she was instrumental in bringing the weekly welcome table ministry for the food insecure of Enid, a bi-monthly suicide survivor support group, a religious presence at Enid's pride celebration, and multiple services and programs throughout the church year to accommodate marginalized communities. She has also served in ministry at the Little Rock Air Force Base Chapel in Jacksonville, Arkansas, First Christian Church in Yukon, and Western Oaks Christian Church in Oklahoma City and First Christian Church in Guthrie. Reverend Fleck is the second vice moderator for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Oklahoma and a member of the advisory board for the Dialogue Institute of Oklahoma City. She was honored to receive the 2017 Human Rights Award from Church Women United and maintains a passion for the work of social justice and interfaith relations. Shannon is the proud mother of a four-year-old daughter, Marilyn Jean. Shannon is a dear friend and a beloved colleague, and I have waited a long time to share the chancel with her. Mayflower, please help me welcome Reverend Shannon Fleck.
2: Good morning, Mayflower. Oh, God, you're so good. I love when a congregation responds with enthusiasm, that it is a good morning indeed. And I am beyond thrilled to be able to be here, both because you are a congregation that is special to me, and my dear friend asked me to. (laughs) And I also have waited a long time to share the chancel with your amazing associate pastor. So, I am thrilled, and I am in fabulous company, as you have had quite a month of preachers coming through your sanctuary. Tracy Blackman, Bailey Perkins, Lawrence Ware. I was able to make it when Reverend Blackman was here, but was not able to hear Bailey or Lawrence. However, I know both of them and I know that whatever they had to say, I would probably gladly (laughs) co-sign. In fact, each of you have the opportunity to hear from Reverend Lawrence Ware again in November at the Oklahoma Conference of Churches annual dinner where he will serve as our keynote speaker. This is my one shameless plug and then I'll move on. Tickets are on sale now <laughs> for our annual dinner, and they are at an early bird reduced rate. So get them while they're hot, and maybe consider sponsoring a table or ten. <laughs> Something I liked that Reverend Blackman did prior to starting her sermon here was to lift up some people who were here that morning And I want to take this moment to do something similar. I've never done this before, but I was impressed when she did it. So I want to recognize some powerhouse women who are in the house of the Lord this morning. The first woman I want to recognize is the ultimate VIP for me in all situations, my amazing mother, Peggy. Raise your hand, raise your hand. not only did you raise me you have supported me through all that life has handed the both of us and there have been a lot of tough moments and I'm not gonna cry (laughs) but you have also shown me every single day what being a Christian is all about you are accepting you're open you're kind you're generous and all the things I pray I am because I've been lucky enough to see it throughout my life. Thank you. And the other one I want to recognize is the very first ordained female minister I ever saw. The one who opened my eyes to a possibility who stayed with me when I fought tooth and nail against a nagging call, accompanied me when I finally enrolled in seminary and began my journey, and continues to support me and be a mentor to me today. The Reverend Dr. Debbie Powell Maxwell. I find that women are so seldom recognized for the abundant gifts they hand out. And I wanted to make sure that you too, since you're here this morning, and since Reverend Blackman did it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, my heart is yours for the roles that you have served in my life. So thank you. Since completing seminary, I have been a pretty consistent and dedicated lectionary preacher. And I know that your pastors are equally committed to the lectionary as they preach it every week. So this morning's scripture comes from today's gospel lesson from the Revised Common Lectionary. And it's a little lengthy, like it's, it's really lengthy. So I want you to bear with me as I read it, because I'm going to give you a little assignment. Okay, are you ready? The scripture is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. And it's a bit of a combo story. There's two different stories taking place that are combined, And in this combo story, there are three miracles. How many miracles are there? Three. Yeah. All right, awesome. So you have your assignment. What I want you to do is pay attention while I read this long scripture and count them in your mind. Sound good? All right. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's this boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost so they gathered them up and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten they filled 12 baskets when the people saw the sign that he had done they began to say this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world when jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. So did you make it through all of that with me? That's a long one that our lectionary gave us for this Sunday. And did you count three? What? Surely, The Reverend Lori Walkie would not invite a pastor who cannot clearly count to three. (laughs) Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. One. Jesus walks on water. Two. These are two very well-known stories of Jesus performing miracles. The third is in there but it might be a little harder for us to spot. It's fleeting at best, but it can be found in one single sentence. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Three. This can be, in my opinion, considered a third miracle in this story because Jesus spends copious amounts of time in all of the gospels trying to get people, and especially his disciples, to understand that our human understandings are limited. And the only thing that matters is to love one another. The miracle in this sentence is that he did not give in. He acted, he fed, he served. And when humanity wanted to put a crown of love on his head and celebrate in the way that humanity deems correct, he retreated away into the mountain. That is the third miracle. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus even shows frustration on occasion, anger even with his disciples' inability to understand that loving one another really is the only point. That's the point of the whole thing. They, along with us, continue to be sidetracked, constantly sidetracked by the simplicity of the message. And we always try to complicate things. So we see here in this story that rather to succumbing, to humanity, rather than having his ministry be co-opted and used for our own boundaries, definitions, however we decide to use Jesus, Jesus is saying to us, no, the gift I give to you is that I feed you. Save the praise for feeding more. He wasn't going to be co-opted, no matter how sincere we might be. His presence on earth was not for our consumption, but for our instruction. And doesn't humanity continue to co-opt Jesus for our own use and misuse? Humans have perfected over millennia how to twist and turn and stretch and squeeze every last syllable of the gospel, to use it as a tool in an arsenal of weaponry to justify any deed. In the last few years in our country, it feels as if we are living in a very real upside down. As Christianity is used as a cannonball against any argument, an arrow in the heart of dissent, and a justification for any number of atrocities floating around our borders and beyond. People being lied to in Jesus' name. People being discriminated against in Jesus' name. People being condemned in Jesus' name. Families being torn apart in Jesus' name. People being killed in Jesus' name. People being hated and unaccepted in Jesus' name. I envision Jesus shaking his weary head at such deeds. And I picture him saying over and over again, I didn't accept your earthly coronation because it was only ever about one thing. He showed us over and over again by example how to love extravagantly and then retreated to the mountain. When Tracy Blackman was here earlier this month, I had the privilege of joining her for lunch after worship, along with Lori and your conference minister, Edith Guffey. And while we were eating, we began discussing a recent clip of her, of Tracy, that had gone viral at an event where she was speaking out against the awful practice of separating families at our nation's border. She mentioned to us that the organizers of the event really wanted her to get up there and slam Jeff Sessions and his misuse of the Bible to defend the act of tearing families apart. They were hoping to get that from this ordained pastor. She thought about it. And after thinking, she determined that she wasn't comfortable with that. The reason she gave was, and I quote, my breath is sacred. And she wasn't going to use her words and actions to tear apart another human being. She was going to speak out against actions that go completely against the gospel. But she wasn't going to use her breath to tear down another. How many weeks has it been since she she was here? Three? And I cannot get that out of my head. My breath is sacred. What is my breath? (laughs) It's sacred. (laughs) And the good news is, my friend, so is yours. This sentence has lived within me. She said that it has become her mantra for the year as she, as a minister of the gospel, faces atrocity after atrocity, challenge after challenge, to the love that we are taught to show. She centers her ministry within those words, her breath is sacred. It's a simple statement. But the impact for me has been very big. My breath is sacred. My existence is sacred. My words that I use are sacred. Its impact for me was huge because, friends, I had forgotten. I had forgotten the sacredness of my life and the sacredness of the choice I have made actively to live into the full justice and love of Jesus' life and message. And it's beautiful. This call to love one another is simple in its structure, but the hardest thing we will ever do in our life. It's easy to get into the weeds with people, isn't it? It's easy to dive right in, to go for the low blows, to argue at all costs, because love is right, and justice is right, and I'm going to (laughs) win. It's easy to go to places emotionally that does not take into account the sacred nature of our place and our breath, and most importantly, the sacredness of the breath of the people who live with us. The sacredness of standing up for those who society has forgotten. That is sacred work. The sacredness of being present with the hurt and the dying sacred, the sacredness of our words when representing love and acceptance in a world that wants so badly to hate and reject, the sacredness of saying yes to a way of life that crashes head on with the nature of those that may surround us, her sacred breath and its use matters these words have such meaning for all of us i think today as we revisit this very well-known scripture of miracles three right we take a moment to realize that jesus behaves in the exact same way He expends sacredness to act in love by feeding people who are hungry, but refuses to have a golden crown placed on his head for such an act because it's our sacred duty to do such a thing. I'll say that again, he refuses to accept the crown that we want to give him because he is doing something that should be so common and so normal that it doesn't need or deserve a crown. It is our sacred duty to serve. It should just be the way. This one sentence in this long scripture from Jesus speaks volumes to the importance of the command to love one another and to make that the sacredness of our existence. Our existence. Our sacred existence, yours and mine, is to feed those who are hungry, whatever that hunger might be. To walk on stormy seas to provide comfort and to live our life in such a way that no other existence will ever be possible. That is the miracle. That is what we are called to. So, friends, take with me a deep breath. That's sacred. Now let's get to work. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org, or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., with adult education classes at 10 a.m., and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.